0: Hi, (laughs) I'm all all of a sudden I'm nervous. I shouldn't be nervous. This is so, so, I've done this so many times, but I am Vivian Aqua, the host of Let's Humanize the Workplace. And you might be wondering, who am I? I'm an inclusive workplace wellness advocate. And I talk about and do a lot about workplace well-being intertwined with diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm also the host of Amplify DEI. And I'm going to show you something, going to show you something awesome. If my computer is working, yes, it's working. Um, last week was a very exciting week and a very challenging week, but I'm not going to address it until I am going to address something with the panel members. So wait, just wait a, a few seconds before me addressing it. But I'm also going to show you something awesome. And that is. Um, In December, I shared with you that I'm starting a group. It's called Amplify DEI Mentoring Circle. It's a place where you can share, you can vent, you can challenge each other, you can learn more about each other. And I know that a lot of people have been asking me so many questions. So I decided to host a webinar next week, Monday, Uh, my time central european time 5 p.m i need to translate it back i think it's um i think it's 11 a.m or 9 a.m uh in eastern i need to translate it back but there will be a link and the link will be bits.ly amp web you can join this webinar to learn more about why the mentoring circle might be good for you especially if you are an hr professional or you are an internal DEI professional working in an in-company place okay going to the next slide that's that's the commercial that I have for myself going to the next slide because today it will be all about intersectionality and I realize that not a lot of people are accustomed to intersectionality. so I'm going to share the dry description the dry meaning and I'm then afterwards I'm going to invite my panel members to share their insights and also to ask, you know, to answer all the questions that I have regarding intersectionality and why leaders need to know more about intersectionality, but first a dry description. So uh, intersectionality is a framework for conceptualizing a person, a group of people or social problem as affected by a number of discrimination and disadvantages. It takes into account people's overlapping identities, experiences in order to understand the complexity of prejudice they face. Okay. Now in real people talk, for instance, if a white person, a white man is earning $1. A black man will be earning $0.78, a white woman will be earning $0.74, and a black woman will be earning $0.64, that's what intersectionality is, do you see the disadvantage, do you see the gaps that are in there, so use this example when you are explaining intersectionality, and I'm going to bring my guest speakers up, so Bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. They are all here because why should leaders care about intersectionality? And I'm going to share their bio. So Julie Kim, she is an Asian lesbian, DEI professional who believes that a sense of belonging is a prerequisite for anyone to perform their best at work. John Carlson is the founder of JD consults and John is passionate about people and helping them not only succeed, but to thrive in within their organization and Greg Fontes, who's just become a new dad. Just become a new dad. (laughs) He is a gifted communicator, engaging storyteller who has invested over a decade in teaching diversity and leadership principles to college students and emerging leaders. And last but not least, Greg Brooks is an initiative taking leader and an advocate for driving diversity through inclusion. So everybody is sharing all these bonus words that are speaking to my heart and that's, that's what I like. And um, let's start with you, Julie. Why do we need to humanize the workplace, the well, virtual workplace?
1: The virtual workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for for a lot of people, um, especially marginalized group of people like myself, um, working um, I'm Asian and then working in the Netherlands predominantly, um, a lot of sort of a white environment. Um, psychological and emotional safety is really important for for all of us to be able to just do our job and and speak mm-hmm. up when we catch something. And uh, I think also with COVID, COVID, I think we need a little bit of extra kindness uh, these days. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit uh, more. A, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Sometimes I have to take a call with the one kid here and the other running around. And then I used to think it was unprofessional, yeah. you know, when, when I saw some kid running around, I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? But now I'm in that place. And um, the first couple of weeks, I sort of apologize, Oh, sorry. And then people are like, you know what? I have my kid. Luckily, I have my kid sleeping in that room. But if he's up, I will be carrying him and whether mother or father or grandparents or in that, being in that position. And pe- people started to, not just to passively acknowledge, but actively support it. It's okay, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. we're all in this together. And that really makes me feel like really, thank, oh, thanks guys. And I can really focus on my presentation or discussion that I'm having with my associates. And it just helps to do, for, for help me do a good job or and many others. And we work better for that and Mm -hmm. so humanization especially these days we we need to really put emphasis on that thank you and john
2: yeah i mean you talk about employee engagement and humanization um one one thing that i'm grateful for for 2020 is it's really lifted that kind of veil of mystery that we had uh where you know it's okay to have families it's okay to have disruptions it's okay to have a life outside of work and not only is it okay but it's embraced um you know for me humanizing the workplaces is so important um not only from the just people side but you know it it's been shown it reduces turnover yeah reduces turnover rates and improves employee morale so you're going to have better more efficient happier employees and overall Just a better, healthier organization.
0: Definitely. And the fact that you even shared that, yes, we are allowed to have a personal life besides our work life. I mean, come on, we cannot, you know, it's not like we can put on a mask when we are at work and, and, and remove that mask when we're going to work, when we're going home. And unfortunately, a lot of people are dealing with this situation but i'm hoping that having this conversation will open you know so many eyes and so many people to see to look better and to see to create that special workplace where everybody can be themselves and can feel like a belonging and can be okay when a kid is screaming or my child is you know he was playing outside and i had to I had to remove myself from the video, close the video, because I don't want people to see me standing up wearing my jogging pants. I mean, (laughs) I am at home. I am at home. I have to be comfortable as well. But I also have, you know, I have to realize that I am a mother. I am so much more things and we cannot be we cannot, you know, just ignore people, ignore their private life as well. So Greg.
3: You're muted. I think for me, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Um, I think for me, it's. Um, I don't think it's a matter of why do we need to humanize the workplace. Mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of we need us needing to normalize the humanization mm. within yes. the workplace. Yes. Because yes, when we yes, think yes. about the workplace and the cultures that exist, it's made up of pe- humans. It's made up of people mm-hmm. and all of mm-hmm. the various particularities and identities that they have and they exist. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's a matter of organizations normalizing that people that work in the company have these identities and these particularities. So I think it's really about normalizing that when I show up into the workspace, I'm bringing all of those things with me. I'm bringing, mm-hmm. as a black male, I'm bringing the history of blackness in America. I'm bringing the fact that I'm a new dad with my four-month baby. I'm bringing mm-hmm. in uh, my husband. I'm bringing in my educational experiences, where I'm geographically grew up, my, my social status, all of those things. I'm bringing that into the space. So it's not a matter of, of humanizing it because I bring all that. It's a matter yeah. of normalizing that. It's a matter yeah. of normalizing the conversations, normalizing the culture that I bring. Normalize are you, are you, are you changing of... my show topic? I'm not changing
0: your show topic. I'm not changing
3: it. I'm not changing it. I'm am, not changing it. I am with my colleagues um, bringing life to the conversation.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, and so for better. me,
3: that's that's what I believe. It's really more of normalizing that humanizing humanization that exists in the workplace.
0: I'm there with you. Thank you. And Gerald.
4: Well, thanks again for having me here. And I agree with what everyone has said so far, but I think I've heard uh, Dr. Robbins, he stated that the brain is optimized when it's around people, but not only around Mm -hmm. people, but around people that care about it. So, and I think when you have an optimized brain, you get engagement. Engagement leads to productivity and in Mm a workplace, productivity leads to revenue. So I think if, if you want to, Uh, break it down to what something that everyone understands is revenue. People equals revenue. The more you care Mm -hmm. about your people, the more revenue they're going to bring you. So if we humanize the workplace to understand that people are coming from all these different backgrounds, and I want my people to be as engaged as possible so I can get their productivity so we can then make money because then when we make more money, then people can get raises. So I, I think it's it's more than just um, we have to start with the engagement and then just breaking down to the brain because we're all humans and we all have a brain. And it's one thing that science states is that the brain is hardwired to belong. So I, I think if we can just start there, and, like that's step one, then human, humanize the workplace to normalize the humanization of the workplace. I really like that. Greg, it's we, I think we'll be well on our way.
0: Yeah. You mentioned something. We all are humans. We all have brains. Last week something happened where I was questioning what you just shared, but I'll I'll just I'll just leave it on the side because otherwise we will all sidetracking. <laughs> I'm just sharing that. I'm just sharing that. So I going just say the to one
4: thing that the brains fill up the like not, but I mean there are different <laughs> tracks. I mean not everyone can be Einstein. Nice
0: <laughs> true. True. Um, let's, let's start with you, uh, Gerald, why should companies care about intersectionality?
4: Personally, I think this is one of the most important things that we have to understand as leaders. Intersectionality makes you who you are individually, and Mm -hmm. until we can see each other for for me, see me for me, when you look at me, I need you to see Gerald Brooks. I don't need you to see a black man. I don't need you to see an LGBTQ man. I don't need you to see a Jewish guy. I don't need you to see a veteran. Like I need you to see Gerald Brooks and intersectionality mm-hmm. is all of those combined because then like Greg was mentioned, which, which mask do I put on? Like who do who do I need to t- support today? Like, oh, well we're fighting for LGBTQ rights today. Are we fighting for black rights tomorrow? Veterans the next day? Like. I'm fighting for me every day and I'm fighting for all of those every day as well. So mm-hmm. until you can understand that when you see somebody, you can't bucket. I don't want to be put into a bucket based on what I look like. Like Dr. Martin King said the best, like we need to be judged based on the character on our character not the color of our skin, but it goes deeper than that as well because our character and then also other things that we identify has to be put into that as well. Like I, I never, like when I see people, I try and, like see them for them. I know we talk, we, everyone talked about the unconscious bias. So when I see a certain thing, it, like my brain thinks one thing, but I have to untrain the thoughts that I learned from the past to be able to see people for who they are and not be afraid to talk to someone because they don't look like me. Or I feel like they might not think like me because you don't know until you actually have the conversation and experience things with people. And intersectionality is the foundation of understanding who we are as individuals.
0: Awesome, John.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you know a, a lot of times people they think of intersectionality as only gender and race intersecting. They forget about things like sexual orientation, ability, age, immigration status, um, all these different things that can really come into play and are all subject to systems of power um, mm-hmm. that, that give you know privilege to certain people over others. And it takes the work that we've done in the DEI space. It takes it a necessary step further. Um, you know, DEI work as a foundation is great, but to, to Gerald's point, you have to see people as who they are, every piece of their identity. And as leaders of organization, it's their responsibility to really dismantle the these oppressive systems of power.
0: Yeah. True. Thank you. Julie, I mean, in, even in your introduction, you made sure that people know that you are Asian, that you are lesbian, just
1: in case you haven't noticed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what else do we need to know more about your intersection? As do we need to define our intersectionality on our resume? I
1: don't know. Like it, it, when, when people talk, when we talk about intersectionally, like John said, it's, it's people tend to focus on sort of visible intersectionality mm-hmm. or visible yeah. diversity but the uh, people sort of um, not ignore but we need to kind of unlearn we need mm-hmm. to learn to see the different makeups and characteristics that, that make who they who people who they are I want to just going to give you one example of so that I want to use the sort of the generation lens in the intersectionality so, uh, well, I'm Japanese, um, but my wife is American and I've had many friends in America in the LGBTIQ plus community. And most, um, let's say if you're a gay man, age about 50, uh, the, the word queer, some of them even go like, Ugh, like, Ugh, it's like a, sort of, it was used as a derogatory term, oh, he's mm-hmm. queer and this. But when you ask Gen Z, they proclaim, they claim, like, I'm queer, so what? So the same term, queer, can mean from from there to there, completely derogatory to be something to be proud of. So I think leaders should really look into different sort of intersectional lenses to tackle uh, the organizational challenges when it comes to race, gender, uh, sexual orientations and discrimination, all these matters. Can, when when you apply different lenses intersectional lenses you can see things from from you can have more viewpoints yeah. so that's why it's important i, I think that's why it's important yeah.
0: it's also important for leaders to know their people i mean you know just hiring somebody to do the job isn't going to isn't going to help you especially now when you need your people to survive or when you need your people to thrive uh during your your during this lockdown and during building on your company, I would say know your people. There to lead your people by you know showing your own vulnerability and know them as well. And Greg. Exactly.
3: Yeah, yeah. When I think about you know the caring of <laughs> intersectionality, right? My mind goes to the construction of that that idea of intersectionality right when you think mm-hmm. of kimberly crenshaw and how she created this term you know 30 yeah. years ago right to define the uh violence and oppression towards black yeah. women right it was lifted up to be held as a sort of as a as a as a Form of accountability, right? To Mm -hmm. one, identify this is the experiences of Black women, but we need to do something about it. We need to see where the power plays are. We need to see where the the intersections, you know, the connections of power and privilege and oppression, all of those exist. So when you think about organizations, companies now and their um, why should they care, because it's a form of accountability. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a form for them to say, listen, we care about the intersections because we recognize the historical legacies, the historical violence and oppression that have been perpetuated against people of color, races, genders, minority identities, et cetera, et cetera. We should Mm -hmm. see all of that. And we're acknowledging intersectionality because we want to do something about it right? We're not trying to absolve responsibility. We're not trying to turn a blind eye to it. No, we're willing to face these things, challenges head on, face on, right? So you shouldn't ignore it. Because
0: What should they they do? Should they state it in their, I mean, mean, I've seen companies making a commitment. Some companies are making real commitments. Some companies, Mm -hmm. I have some question marks. I'm not going to call them off. I just have some question marks about Mm -hmm their true commitment but mm-hmm. do you feel like they need to address intersectionality in sim-
3: you cut
4: off on that last one mute. Mean, you went on mute
0: I was using the mouse too often and like okay um, do companies need to address intersectionality in their commitments
3: yes I think if you name it, that uh, personally, I think you know naming it is a huge thing of of first recognizing that it's a problem and recognizing it that's it's a goal, right? You know, in, in my work, you know, um, you know, there's this idea that when we talk about social justice, it's both goal and process, right? Uh, oftentimes, places will say, okay, these are our diversity goals, and once we meet it, we're woke, we're good. No almost cussed on here. No, right? right? When you think of that, you're supposed to think of, of, of social justice and equity and the fight for justice and, and diversity and inclusion as really something that you continually work towards, right? It's a perpetual process of working towards that. So I'm going to name intersectionality. I'm going to name the issues at hand simply because I know that's the goal that I need to work towards. Even if I meet my diversity metrics, when you start thinking of retention of the employee life cycle and you start thinking about just the turnover that exists, you have new people coming in your organization on a regular. One new, new person should be accounted for. Right. So organizations need to care about it because it is a goal. It is a process. And and they should be able to name it, right? Because when you name it, you're addressing it. You're, you're holding yourself accountable, not just internally, but publicly to your, uh, if you're in the corporate world, your stockholders and your the, the, the people who own shares, your board. If you're in the educational space, you're, you're holding it accountable to your faculty, your staff, your students, and then everything in between. So I think naming it is what you should do. And I question those that don't name it because then you can go, we can have a conversation about performative DEI, performative allyship and all of those things. Snapping and showing the
0: awesome card as well, because um, I wanted to know what will, just, just one thing, uh, what is the negative thing that can happen when, companies ignore intersectionality? And I'll start with uh, with John.
2: We're seeing it. Um, it. It's been ignored for so long that we're mm-hmm. seeing the result of that. So when you talk about one reason why companies shouldn't ignore it is because we're going to continue to perpetuate what we've been seeing. Consumers mm-hmm. uh, or clients, you know, they have access to more information than ever before. And there's True. a call to action, a demand that organizations start to get th- these things right. Um, and intersectionality is something that organizations have to get right because not only is it, you know, to, to Gerald's point, good for people and revenue, but they have to in order to be sustainable because clients and customers are demanding it.
0: And also external stakeholders. What I've seen is that in, um, investment banks such as BlackRock or other companies, investment companies are really demanding transparency where they invest their money. And I'm just like, hey, I'm down for that. Please, investors, if you're watching next time, ask for the diversity numbers or figures, because I know that some people are against, some people are for, but we have to start somewhere to showcase this transparency and to show that a company is doing their best as well so and julie
1: yeah so um well i can i can give you an example from japan uh mm-hmm. so it's the year 2020 and then this um uh supermarket uh convenience store big chain in japan started running a campaign uh with one specific sort of a service uh mom's kitchen it's called mm-hmm. mom's kitchen and uh so the young high school students started a petition against that excuse me sirs this is 2020 and then japan ranked 121st in the mm-hmm. uh, gender equality index out of 153 countries no. so we're way 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 behind so imagine if you So this company is spending millions of euros, but millions of dollars for this campaign to promote promote its service. But imagine you had more diverse group in the decision-making, the marketing team, where more women or young professionals, Gen Z to baby boomers, all got together. Is it really important to include this sort of gender stereotyping in this campaign? Or can we more focus on the emotional aspects of having good meal, you know? Uh, maybe, I, I totally maybe
2: they, I, I totally yeah, get maybe,
1: that yeah maybe they ended up choosing mom's kitchen in the end maybe but they could at least have a more successful campaign or dialogue dialogue with the campaign why, where it's coming from um so but the, the sad thing is with this petition people are still discussing like oh like people women are overreacting and some feminists and, uh, are behind them and they're using the high, young high school women to file this petition. So this is kind of the reality uh, in Japan. So my point is, if you have more diverse group, diverse viewpoints, different viewpoints, whether you're hiring or promoting or running big marketing campaign, like John said, like people still make these, these mistakes and they lose its people, they lose money, they damage their brands. And so again, intersectional perspective, intersectionality is super important.
0: Which brings me to another thing because I I love watching Disney and all the other ancient cartoons. But <laughs> now that I'm a mother, now that I'm doing the work <laughs> of DEI, I'm having a hard time watching all these cartoons and unfilter my filter or defilter or remove or deactivate my filter. For instance, when I'm looking at Snow White, when I'm looking at Beauty and the Beast, when I'm looking at Mulan, for instance, why do the ladies need to save people? The first Disney movie that I like where the woman had, you know, the front, uh, the, 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 the main role was brave and. There are so many more. So do we also need to add intersectionality into cartoons? Because I don't want to watch old cartoons anymore because of this whole thing and because of this whole stereotyping. And I need to, when we are watching, I need to unlearn, tell my child like, you know, your mother is not going to do that. So this is a cartoon. It's not real life. We're thinking differently. But I'm letting you watch because this is fun. But know that your mother thinks differently, and he understands that he he is trying to do better. But I do feel like cartoons also have an obligation to change certain stories, Greg, because you are your your, your daughter is growing up, right? Do you want her to watch Snow White in a particular way and think that she needs to be
3: saved? Well, well, currently we're on Elmo and. Uh, I'm a- <laughs> <laughs> um. No, no, absolutely. I, 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 I would not want that for her, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in particular to, you know, I am and, and I'm thinking more of just the grander scheme of things. Um, intersectional cartoons and would love to see that, mm-hmm. uh, because you know when we start thinking about you know the socialization, it, it happens at that age, it happens at a very young age, the socialization of how we view race and racism, how we view all these other things. It happens in home, it happens at school, it happens in uh, churches and religious spaces. It happens Mm -hmm. in all of these various environments to where that's where the socialization begins. And knowing how black women have been historically and even modern, modernly in our modern day context been oppressed and marginalized and you know undervalued and underappreciated that's not what I want for my daughter right mm-hmm. so for me it's hoping and seeking to disrupt and dismantle those things so that she that she grows up with a healthy positive sense of self right that's never under a person or never has to play second fiddle to someone else yes. so for me if we had those intersectional cartoons and hey i think that might be a, a great business venture for those who are thinking about that i'm just um, saying
0: pixar if somebody knows pixar or knows you know disney knows any big cartoon even <laughs> netflix is now into cartoons right watch watch what people mm-hmm. are sharing here because this will bring some money in the bank right gerald
4: Yes, completely agree. I, and I think intersectionality, it, it has to start from the beginning everywhere. I'll go back mm-hmm. to the brain. Like none of us are born biased. Like mm-hmm. you learn a lot. You learn your bias and your stereotypes from the way you're raised, your environment, what you see on TV. So I, I think like just going back to even when I was younger, you know, growing up, you looking at TV, if you were a white person who'd never seen a black person, but you seen black people in movies, they were either in games, killing each other. Uneducated yeah. single mothers, and so when you meet a black person, what are you going to think? Oh, you, you black female, you must be a single mother with five kids on welfare, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you don't weave those things into the from the beginning to end those biases, to start them from the beginning, then we're going to be doing this. It's going to be a circle. So now like Greg's daughter is gonna yeah. come up in 20 years. Like, well, guess what? I didn't see anyone that looked like me growing up. So I didn't think I can do any of those things. I mean, that goes back even to myself being an, a black man in corporate America. I never saw a black man in corporate America. So I didn't think it was a place for me to be. So and I was like, oh, I need to be a professional athlete. Well, I'm five foot three, 150 pounds. I'm not sure what sport I think I'm gonna play professionally, you know? So <laughs> that was that was out of the box. Um, but I think if we start with the intersectionality as young as possible and as many things as possible, then these conversations won't have to be the, the uncomfortable conversations. They'll just be a daily conversation of seeing, seeing things. I mean, now you see commercials with, there are more interracial com- uh, couples on commercials. There are LGBTQ couples on commercials. And like, I think I'll just leave with this, but um, like Shits Creek. Like they never mentioned anything about like LGBTQ or anything. They just lived their lives. And, but they brought it up the way and it was never brought up like, oh my God, you must be this, you must be that. No, it's like when you bring people up a certain way, the right way, then you don't have to worry about when they become to high school, what what group are they going to be in? Because Mm -hmm. everyone be in the same group and understand that um, this isn't mean girls. Like I don't have to go sit at the table with the jocks or the black people or the arts people. Like I'm going to go sit at the table with whoever I want to go sit at the table with. And that's what I love about the upcoming generations. Mean girls was when I was in high school. Now I go and mentor elementary schools and I go into their cafeteria and it is, I, I'm like out are the groups like they are so diverse because they don't think about what we had to live through as kids. They love each other for who they are. And that's why I when I see commercials of like little kids hugging and then one of them grow up to be like a bad person. Well, they learned that growing up. They wasn't born that way. So I think um it's very important, especially I mean, intersectionality, that's why I say it is one of my most like things that I'm very passionate about, because not only do I want to represent everything that I am, but I want to represent it correctly. And I also want people to accept me for who I am and not what I am.
0: I don't know how to to go on with that. It seems like you're dropping the mic and ending the show directly, right? But I have to, I have a (laughs) a few more questions to ask. What is the most important step leaders can take in 2021? to address inequities in the workplace? And I'll start with you, Greg.
3: Listen, I am a huge proponent for coaching. Like, mm. I think there needs yeah. to be a sense of humility from our leaders, mm-hmm. executives, um, even in my own company I worked with and mm-hmm. other companies that I consult with. Um, I think leaders need to move to, To understand that they're leaders in their particular function area, Mm -hmm. but they're not leaders necessarily in people and how to navigate this stuff, right? So I think there needs to be some coaching that leaders need to take and say, hey, I need some help, right? I I need to work on this thing, right? And really put the time to do the work right because hire
0: the right people
3: and hire the right people and manage the right way and lead the right way because if they don't all it's doing is failing the institution all it's doing is preventing their company from being able to grow it's preventing it's putting a bad taste in people's mouth and people talk and so people will know not to come and work for your organization and company you know there was a a mentor of mine uh, years ago who would share with me that hey you know Oftentimes we would have employees come to our organization and we would train them up so they can work for somewhere else. Not so that they can grow within, not so that they can matriculate through. No, we bring them in just so we can prepare them so they can leave because right here is so toxic for them. If we did some coaching and understood how to navigate these things, employees would be happier. Employees would stay longer. The company would further advance farther along. So I would encourage anyone, leader, execs, directors, managers, whomever, get you some coaching.
0: Get some coaching and also assist yourself with doing the work because some people do feel challenged addressing these topics Mm -hmm. and know that there are DEI consultants out there. I'm not naming them, but there are some here at the table just saying that can support you in certain conversation or certain things that you want to address because know that we're, i'm not challenging you to know it all but i am challenging you to do better that's it i am challenging you to do better so um julie
1: reverse mentoring mm. now that i used the uh... Uh, generation lens, um, yeah. when you work with the younger generation, uh, yeah. especially Gen Z, who are born after 19, mid 1990s, uh, early 20s, digital native, so they lived sort of the whole life in sort of the digital friendly environment, but they also prefer face to face discussion, the studies show. So why don't I, why don't we listen to, I'm sort of in middle age in between baby boomers and then gen what z what are you
0: calling me like, so stop it
1: <laughs> in between so i catch myself always kind of sort of translating what the baby boomers say mm-hmm. to gen z like mm-hmm. the baby boomers looking for the the latest powerpoint and jen's yeah. like why don't we just use a google slide you exactly know? and then exactly. the baby boomers like oh what's that what do you mean we i need to we need to track changes like dude we can do that you know we don't <laughs> need to track like technology tracks it I mean so why don't we listen to it's not that the younger generation is is right all the time it, that's not what I'm saying but they, they're the future they're going to create the future so it's worth listening to them what they're thinking what they think the future is going to look like and you know it, it's it, they can tell us a lot of things and we can learn and we can also teach them, yeah
0: um i see I see reverse mentoring as a you know um how do you say it? a way to give back but also for you to soak in all their knowledge as well so I would rather say um m- traditional mentoring combined with reverse mentoring, whereas you're learning from each other exactly. so that you're getting the best of both worlds as well
1: yeah Because I I feel like traditional coaching is more of the seasonal professionals Mm -hmm. talk to the young professionals what the the rules are and things like what, you know, that we've tried and then succeeded and failed. But uh, I think we can be a little bit open, for example, redefining workplace. You know, we used to be like a fancy building, a nice coffee machine, and then young professionals passive learned how the executives, you know, how, how they talk and do the presentation, but that's not happening now. So mm-hmm. why? How do we deliver? How do we deliver the the things that we kind of can't have now to the younger generation? So I think I think it's it's a good time for to open up that discussion.
0: Love it. Thank you, um, John.
2: Yeah. Step one: a culture mind shift that organizations need to realize and put people over profits. The mm-hmm. profits will follow as long as you're putting your people first. The second step, and this may be this may be crazy, I know it's insane, listen to your people. Mm. Take the time to listen, find out what they're asking for, what they need. I know it's insane, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then not only, you know, say what you're going to do, but then do it.
0: Mm. Walking the
2: talk, yes. Start putting some actions behind it. I love seeing these CEO statements and these pledges of diversity. Fantastic first step. Now what are you going to do? How are hey. you going to show up every single day for your employees? Yes.
0: I, let, let me let me tweak that last one because that last one needs some tweaking a little bit adjustment. I want to so I want to see your 6-month commitment. I want to see your year commitment, not just not just put it on the wall as in this year, this is my mover for diversity and this is what I'm going to do make it actionable. I want to see action. So what are you going to do in the next six months? And if that is just one step, that's totally fine. But be transparent, especially towards your people so that they know that you and they are working towards that goal.
2: Yeah. Right? And follow through. What what kind of accountability is there going to be if you're not hitting that, that metric that you set for yourself?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True, true. Gerald,
4: Yes, I, I think one of the, uh, on top of the reverse mentoring coach, and I, I think those are great. I, I think um, a lot of leaders also need to find their humility. I, I think there needs to be a connection between the entry level associates and the board. I, I feel right now. A lot of companies they have the board and they have everyone else. Um, when you become a board member, that doesn't make you into a robot. You're still mm-hmm. a human. And to use yeah. the topic of the conversation, humanize the workplace, humanize the board of directors. Like, don't mm-hmm. be afraid to talk to people. There's one thing that we've all felt alike, and that's what it feels like to be an outsider. Like, yeah. and it doesn't matter, like everyone, like, even if you're a man in a group of all women, myself in a group of anyone that it's not myself, um, but have that conversation with your people so they can have that connection. Because until you have that on interviews, you say, what is a leader? People are gonna explain a unicorn because everyone, a leader has to be perfect. They have to do this and do that. No, a leader needs to be humble. They need to be able to admit failure. They have to be okay with not being okay. And those are the things that the Gen Zs, that's what they are looking for. I was talking to a friend and a Gen Z came to an interview and before the interview even started, she said, Explain this. And it was a picture of their board, which was major like all white men. And she was like, Explain this before the interview. There is no way in the world I would have did that on an interview when I was looking for a job. But that's what you, we have to adapt to. And understand I understand that evolution of the workplace is yeah, I mean the the, the force and the the passion like whatever, that we're all showing here, that's the passion that the workforce is gonna have. And mm-hmm. if you want to retain the top talent instead of saying, oh, let's go find the top talent. You have the top talent, just grow it from within. It's there, you don't need to go find what's already in your house, you know? So I think the, the connection between board and entry level, it needs, the gap needs to, it needs to shut down. I mean, you need to be able to talk to people Just like you're at a board meeting talking to them. And granted, you're not going to use the same language. I understand that. But I want a leader to get on to a video conference with their company and be like, I just want to have a conversation with y'all about this one time when I felt, and this is how it made me stronger. Mm That's going to connect with so many more people than putting out statements of we're against this. We know you're going to say, who's going to say they're for racism? I mean, come on everyone know you're going to say we're against it but tell me how you personally are against it and what you're doing to help yourself out because a lot of people they say i want to help you well you need to help you you first like so before you i started the DEI, first. Yeah. um journey, yeah. I started reading about myself, my own biases to understand what's wrong with me. And then now I feel like I can go and help other people. Leaders, you just can't say, oh, I'm on a board. Let me go help you. No, like Greg said, you don't just have this. It just doesn't come to you because you become a board member. Like actually go do the work to make yourself better so you can grow better people. And that's where we divide the managers from the leaders, because managers manage projects and programs. Leaders lead people. And Tomorrow, we all, everyone wants to work for a leader because the people that work for you, they're going to make sure the programs and projects are doing what they need to do if you're leading the people correctly.
0: I want to add something on that. I believe in self-leaders.
4: I oh, want sure. you to
0: think that you are the leader of tomorrow, of today, by leading yourself first. That's what I want to challenge people with.
3: No, I, com- I
0: completely agree with that. Thank you. Can I? Um, I, I, I will, I could. Have, I could talk for hours. I know the time is. We are almost ending, but I want to end with this question, and I'll start with Greg. What is your wish for 2025 when it comes to humanizing the workplace and intersectionality? What do you wish to see?
3: Hmm, man, that's that's a heavy one. There's so much. I know. There's so much, but I would love to see. Um, I would love to see where this is not reactionary, right? But that this is relevant, right? To where this is something that becomes the forethought. And this is something that becomes, it it moves from, it it becomes normal, right? This is normal to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. We're not teaching you how to have the conversations. Having the conversations are part of your DNA of the company of your organization um you're not performative right by 2025 that's that's four years from now i want to see the commitments you made today lived in that moment right i want to see you on the second phase of your dei strategic plan i want to see you hey you talking about you want to have these number of uh number of, of black employees or minority employees you you talk about wanting to do this that and the third I want to see it, so 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 at that time I want to see it become normalized. I want to see the conversations um, be at the forethought. I don't want to see a reactionary organization. I want to see a, a culturally relevant and responsive organization. That's what it I want.
0: Makes, it makes me think about you know keeping up an Excel form. I'm just simple or something a dashboard where we keep track of all these commit. I know there are a lot of companies there are doing something so hey i'm just spreading an idea if somebody already has something similar like that we need to keep track of these commitments that companies are making and definitely the commitments that they are making regarding you know towards 2025 by 2025 the board is diverse etc because i've been seeing a lot of these commitments and i want to keep track of them somewhere. So if there is a genius out there who's already doing that, I applaud you. Connect it with me or share with us so that we can hold the companies accountable as well. John?
2: Yeah, by 2025, I want to see um, all leadership have skin in the game. I want to see accountability around um, you know specific metrics, and like, like to Greg's point, that we're not being performative, that we're not being reactionary, that mm-hmm. the work that we do in the DNI space, um, anti racism, uh, you know intersectionality, everything, it lives and breathes within the organization's culture, and that as DEI specialists or managers or directors you know, our job, maybe we work ourselves out of a job because it becomes that ingrained in how businesses operate. I'm talking about four years,
0: huh? Hey, you know what, goals,
2: but, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's that's the vision that I would love to Mm -hmm. see by 2025, is Mm -hmm. that at the very least, to Greg's point, we're on the next phase. We stop being reactionary, we stop being, having these conversations out of necessity, but because it's part of the culture, and that we're teaching people, you know, how to participate in these conversations, not, you know, we have to have them because X, X, and X happened.
0: I love it. And Gerald.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with Greg
4: and John. Um, I, w- I would love to see, again, 2025, 20, four years, that's, that's a. I think a very short time for what I would like to see. But I think again, seeing the next phase of what companies want, um seeing how they they meet the metrics. And when they don't meet the metrics, they should have at least an, an explanation of as to why, um, which I think a big part of it is the keep the continue continuous search for top talent instead of growing it in because uh Greg mentioned to a point where companies meet their diversity measure. And it's like, oh, we're good for the year. We'll do it again next year. But then 50 of those diverse employees that came in, 30 of them go out the back door within two years. Mm-hmm. So really, have you done anything? So I, I I think I wanted to become part of the, the culture. Like John said, uh, actually, when I first started thinking about DNI journey, it's like no one should be in this job for 20 years. Like it should be a five year job. You should go in, go out and then come back and consult and coach to make sure that everything's going on. But um, like to just be able to help people and understand that people not be afraid to talk to someone that doesn't look like them. I mean, we we should be over there, it's 2020. So we shouldn't have to wait to 2025 for that to happen. Um, And again, just humanizing the workplace that you mentioned, intersectionality is very important.
0: Thank you. And Julie.
1: Well, four years. I hope I hope this discussion can kind of we can learn from the LGBTIQ plus inclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, like business case proven over and over, many studies, it makes business can't sense to, to be more inclusive for LGBTIQ plus and marginalized group of people. My hope is that when it comes to intersectionality and representation discussion, my hope is that we can skip this business case and we can just say, this is the right thing to do because it's already proven with different studies and just get to it, you know? I want to see the systematic changes, for example, in HR, hiring, training, promotion, the retention and valuable employees, just do it. And make systematic change to be the the level, you know, free the, the fair um, level field uh, place for all the uh, candidates, for example. So what I don't want to see is that to intersectionality to be to disappear just like a buzzword or something. This is still it. Uh, it, it requires continuous effort, conscious effort. And uh, we unfortunately still may be talking about it, but want to see some uh, systematic changes as well. Yeah,
0: I want to see more accountability, more and more have a platform. I was thinking about that platform and now I'm just like, if there are any tech leaders out there or gurus who are, you know, You you know, they are sharing or at least documenting what company X is sharing or what BlackRock is sharing, what Nasdaq is sharing so that we can share the companies that are doing their best or doing the work so that we can share so that the other, you know, the other companies will follow their lead. We have to start somewhere and we have to do better. That's it. My son is seven. And I don't want to have this conversation when he is starting in the workplace or become his own manager or become his own boss. I don't want this. So that's why I am doing my utmost best to move the needle faster, sooner, better. That's it. That's it. I'm seeing a lot of comments in right now. So Stella, um, Stella is sharing great an important conversation. I want to share a quote by the amazing Audrey Lorde with all of you regarding the importance of intersectionality. There is no thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live in a single issue likes yay thank you stella and maxine is sharing keep these companies accountable and radical inclusion is so important thank you maxine and i don't know who this is but thank you for sharing plus one boot the business case for dei i enjoyed this conversation and again i was just like okay is it done already i really love what you shared and i'm hoping that know we inspired self leaders the leaders of tomorrow or the leaders of today to really care about intersectionality and to move beyond the needle so thank you julie thank you john thank you greg thank you gerald for sharing your wisdom and i want to show up my screen um for next week i cannot share the topic for next week yet but however i do want to thank you all for watching and for uh for participating and if you want to listen back to the podcast wait until a few days and then you can um, listen back to the replay or watch the replay on youtube at any given time i am doing my best to have these conversations because we need to address these topics and we need to raise awareness and again my son is my main reason but i'm also doing it for the next generation and for this generation to create that better culture so thank you all for watching and until next time bye everybody don't go yet <laughs>